doesn't really matter what other people say about you, it's who God says you are, amen, and who God says you may be. So praise the Lord for that. We're thankful for our time together and uh, thankful um, uh, for many things, and I know we're entering into uh, Thanksgiving week, and uh, what a great time it is, uh, and so um, when I can already just kind of, you know, smell butter, um, you know, and cornbread and that type thing, I mean, I can already kind of um, sense that coming, <laughs> and uh, it's just exciting. I took a picture last night of Lily Beth and myself uh, after her um, stunning performance in Willy Wonka, um, and uh, and so I took a picture, and or someone took a picture of us, and I looked at it, and I go, hmm, might need to kick back a little bit uh, off Thanksgiving this uh, this time. Wow! Oh, no one told me my face is really filling out. Um, so <laughs> praise God for that. Uh, but. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna wait. Do what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera adds ten pounds. I appreciate that encouragement. Um, it doesn't add forty or twenty or thirty, but anyway, uh, for me. But I thought, well, bless God. But uh, <laughs> uh, I do want to say a big thank you. I know our uh, senior adults had a great time last night, and and I know Brother John is thankful for so many folks that helped out and. And a lot of our young couples and, and uh, even teenagers helped and served and did so many things. And, and I know he is just so thankful for that. And, and I hate I missed it. Uh, we hate we missed it. Um, but uh, I probably could have added to the uh, waistline last night. But um, we uh, had uh, Willy Wonka. And so, um, but I know it was a great time. And I was able to see some video of uh, that time you had together and, and those guys singing. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered with the <laughs> in the right setting with the right music, you senior adults will shout. Uh, you, <laughs> yeah, you'll shout a little bit. So I caught you. Um, it's on video. Uh, so it's out there and seen by hundreds of people. Uh, but I know you had a good time, and, and uh, it needs to be blessed with some talented guys. Amen. Uh, what a great thing. I know you guys had a good time. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 4. We are walking through the articles of faith together as a church, and we uh, are on article of faith number 6. And so we'll read that together. If you just joining us or visiting with us, uh, we are walking through these articles of faith. These articles were written the day the church was started on November 7, 1835. And that original document we found, and, and it's right over here in this uh, frame. You can come look at that. And, uh, but you, we've been walking through these doctrines or these articles of faith that the day our church was founded, when it was started, these uh, charter members. This is what we believe as a church, and these are the things that we're going to keep believing as a church, and I believe uh, that it will carry us through. Uh, we're celebrating 
now, 183 years this month as a church, amen, 183 years, and, and, uh, and I believe it's because of these articles of faith, and as we walk through them, you've been able to see the depth of the doctrines that are in these articles of faith. They're not shallow, and uh, the, the, they're, they're not superficial, they're very deep in their theology, they're deep in the scriptures. And I can tell you by testimony, not only in my own life and other faithful uh, followers of Christ over the years, but also the faithfulness of East Tobago Baptist Church over the last 183 years. If you want to stand firm, and you want to stand firm no matter what happens in this world, you must have a deep doctrine. You have to have a deep theology of the Scriptures. You have to be firmly rooted and firmly planted in the Scriptures. If not, you will be tossed to and fro. You will be tossed about, tossed around. And the reason that happens and the reason why in our churches today we have church members who are in and out, in and out, in and out. Uh, everything else is more important than church on Sunday. And they choose all these other things but uh, gathering with the saints is because they have a superficial faith. Their faith is not deeply rooted in the Scriptures. And that's why we have the issues we have. That's why we have numbers of churches that are in turmoil that God, I believe, has removed his hand from it. Uh, he's wrote Ichabod above the doors of the church, and, and we have churches closing by the hundreds. I, I don't know if it's so much of God not being faithful as it is the people not being faithful. It's not saying you've got to have a big church. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying unless we have a deep theology, know the scriptures, know what the Bible says, then we'll be firmly planted and rooted. And then no matter what happens in this life, I know, I know where I stand. I know who I am. I know whom I belong to. And I know where I'm going. And we get that through the scriptures and knowing what the Bible says. Uh, we have Christians today who have been followers of Christ for 40 years, yet their doctrine and theology is this shallow. We're so more worried about wide than deep. May we worry about how deep our doctrine is. That's where we stand. And then when the winds come, you know, we're not like that tree that just blows and topples over because the roots are so superficial. But we're like a tree that's firmly planted by the still waters, that when the winds come, hey, it can take it. may lose some leaves, some branches may come off, but that tree will still stand. And you in your own life, dear brother or sister, when life happens for you, if you're firmly, deeply rooted in the Scriptures and know what the Bible says about all kinds of topics, but especially about who God is, when those winds come, when those winds stop, you'll still be firmly planted. You'll still be standing there and and many of these, I think many of these doctrines or or articles of faith, as we've taught on those in depth, has been maybe the first time some have ever even heard them. Uh, we discussed two weeks ago one of the probably hardest ones, and that's the doctrine of election, and that's that's a difficult doctrine, but it's true because it's what the Bible says. And then we move from that one to this one. And it adds to it, and I think it'll bring some comfort uh, for you. And so I'll look at Article of Faith number six. We believe in the doctrine of justification by faith. Amen. 
We believe, uh, you don't amen that yet, but by the end of our morning, hopefully you'll have a better understanding of what it is, and then you'll go, amen, right, when we say it. We believe in the doctrine of justification by faith. And so let's read Romans chapter 4. This is a great example of the justification by faith and what that means. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. If you are able, if you will stand as we uh, read the scriptures together. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and this is what the Bible says. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Good question. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works... Pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. Lord, we thank you that you through our faith and believing in the scriptures, believing in the promises of God, you have imputed Christ's righteousness into our own lives. And then we are saved. And we're thankful for that. Lord, not so that we can boast in anything that we've done. We may boast on this earth, but we cannot boast to you. Lord, we only boast in you. And that's because you saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul says, what can we say according to the flesh that Abraham has found? Abraham found salvation. He found righteousness to be declared right before God. And he says, asks a question, if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about. Wouldn't you agree with that? If Abraham was saved or justified by his own doing, keeping the law, being a good guy, working it all out in this life, if Abraham... Uh, was justified by his works, then he has something to boast about, meaning Abraham can walk around around and go, well, I got saved because look how good I was. Or look at the kind of guy I was. I was faithful. Well, yeah, I lied multiple times. And yeah, I was unfaithful some. But man, I was was a good guy and I helped people and I loved people. I loved my family. I saved some folks and I went out and did some great things. And that's why I'm saved. And the Bible says, Well, if he was saved by works, then he'd have something to boast about. But it says, but not before God. He would not be able to do that. For what does the Bible say? It says, Abraham believed God. He believed, he had faith in the promises of God, and it was credited to him righteousness. He goes on and describes this. To the one who works, pays not credited, but it's something that's owed. When you go to work every day, you go to work, and the pay you get is not a gift, it's something you owe, you are owed. You, you worked for that. And so you, are, you have a right to get paid at the end of the week. I'm not saying all of your coworkers deserve to get paid at the end of the week because they probably don't do as much as you do, I'm sure. 
but it's something that you're owed. You have a right to that paycheck, don't you? I went every day. I worked hard every day. I worked hard all day, all week, for the past two weeks or for the past month. I have a right to that paycheck. I have a right. You owe me that paycheck. Well, the scriptures say the one who works pays, not credited. It's something that's owed. But to the one who does not work but believes on him, it's given. Faith is credited. So listen, if you don't go work, guess what? You are not owed. A paycheck. Isn't that simple? You don't go to work, you don't get paid. And that's what, the, that's what um, Paul is saying in Romans chapter 4. For the person that does not work, they aren't owed anything. They're not owed anything. And it's te- teaching you and I that our salvation, you did not save yourself. So therefore, God does ha- has no right to do anything to you or for you. But because you didn't, it's only because of faith, then it is a gift from God. Justification by faith. There's some terms we want to define. Uh, I believe, I think, if I email, yeah. So you have those definitions with you. Look at the definition of justification. It is an instantaneous legal act of God. So it's of God doing it in which he, two things, he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and two, declares us to be righteous in his sight. This is what it means uh, for justification. You've heard me say that, and other preachers say that. We are justified uh, before God. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God, meaning God does it. It's not of you. It's not of me as a pastor or any priest or anything like that. It's only from God. It's an instantaneous legal act of God. By the way, this is um, Wayne Grudem's definition. It's an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. So in justification, God thinks of your sins as being forgiven. Amen? And that Christ's righteousness belongs to you. Remember, this is where the word imputed comes from. The word imputed, it's, a, it's an accounting term, uh, meaning uh, money is imputed into your banking account, and now it's yours. It belongs to you. That's your banking account. You didn't have it, but somebody imputed that money into your banking account, and now you have it. You didn't go get it. You didn't earn it. Now it's just imputed into your banking account. How many of you are praying for that? Holidays, Christmas is here. Wish somebody impute that in my banking account. If you'll just give me your banking account number, I'll make sure you get I'm kidding. I'll impute it into mine. But Christ's righteousness is imputed into us. And the second thing justification means from God declares us to be righteous in his sight. Amen. It means that when God looks down on you, he sees you right before him. He doesn't see you as a dirty, wretched sinner, the enemy to him. He doesn't see you as useless, no good, as the Bible describes us apart from Christ. But the day you get saved, God looks down on you, and he sees because of justification, he sees you as right before him. Meaning, you, ha- you can now enter into the presence of God. You can now enter into the kingdom of God in heaven. God does not look down on you and see all of your sin. He doesn't look down on you and see all of your wrongdoing. He doesn't look down on you and see 
uh, uh, all of the bad that you've done, have ever done, or ever will do. No, justification means he has forgiven you of your sins and he declares you right, righteous, perfect, holy, set apart, not because of anything you've done, but only because of Jesus. Aren't you thankful that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past, present, or future sin, but he sees Jesus, amen? That's what he sees. Thank you, God, for justification. Thank you, Lord, that you saved us. Thank you, God, that you washed my sins white as snow and that I am in right standing before you. Justification by what? Faith, not works, not ideas, not wisdoms, but justification by faith, faith being confidence or belief, uh, having a confidence in God or a confidence or belief in something. This is teaching that we are justified. Those two things happen by faith, faith believing. Some say it's believing without seeing. Meaning you are saved. We are justified, uh, right standing before God, by faith, by believing in God, believing in the Scriptures. And so Paul gives us a great example of Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him righteousness. You know what this means? Abraham had faith in the promises of God, and God credited to him righteousness. God saved him. That's what this means. Abraham believed. God saved him. Abraham believed God saved him. And that's no more uh, true than, than today as well. You believe God, have faith in the Scriptures, God saves you. That's just what the Scriptures teach us. And so we go and we see the example of Abraham. Abraham believed God, trusting faith in who God is, having trusting faith in his word, trusting faith in his promises. It's a pattern for all who walk with the Lord. It's a pattern for you and for me. This comes from Genesis chapter 15. If you can turn with me, Genesis chapter 15. If you're with us on Wednesday nights, we're walking through the book of Genesis together. We covered this a while back. This is the moment that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 15, God is reminding Abraham of his promises that, that um, the Lord comes to him and reminding him of, of, uh, that he will be a great nation and that he'll have children and that through him the nations will be blessed and all of these things are going to happen. And still, Abram was out with without child. He, there was, he did not have a son or child at all. And so, but God's telling Abraham, but through you, I'm going to, you're, you're going to be, you're, you're going to outnumber the stars. You won't even be able to count the number of um, nations and people that come from you. And Abraham's sitting there thinking, yeah, but I don't even have a child yet. How is this going to happen? But the Bible says Abraham believed God. He trusted in God. He trusted in the scriptures. He trusted in the word of the Lord. And look at verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, credited to him, Abraham, as righteousness. That's all it took. There was no aisle to walk down. There was no prayer to pray. 
There was no VBS raising of the hands. The Bible says Abram believed God and God saved him. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Abram believed God and then God saved him, credited to him righteousness. Before Abram believed God, Abraham stood condemned before God. Before Abram believed and had faith in the, in the promises, God looked down and saw Abraham as his enemy, saw Abraham as useless, as no good, wretched sinner, a wretched sinner. But the moment Abraham believed, the moment Abram had faith in the promises of God, God credited, him, credited to him righteousness. And it was at that moment God looked down. He did not see Abraham in all of his sin. He saw Abraham right, in right standing before God. Listen, there's no person or thing out there that is more important to be, have right standing before than God. We work all of our lives to have a right standing before people. And one that we often neglect is having a right standing before God Almighty. And Abraham found himself not right before God, but then he believed in the promises. He believed in the scripture. He believed in the word of the Lord. So it brings us to point number one. It is his faith in God's promises that becomes the basis of salvation, not his actions or deeds. It was the faith in God's promises that became the basis of his salvation, not his actions or deeds. Abraham didn't get saved because he's a good guy. Abraham didn't get saved because of any action or any deeds that he performed. Abraham's salvation was based only based upon his faith in God's promises. Paul quoting that in Romans chapter 4, it's expressing this foundational truth of salvation based on faith that we have in God's promises, faith in the words of the Lord. He also, uh, Paul also gives this same description in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, how about that? Well, that's a good way to address the church. <laughs> you foolish Galatians. Who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? He's saying, are you, are you saved by your works or by the Spirit or by faith, believing? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if, in fact, it was for nothing? So then, what does God, so then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. He's calling us foolish Christians. You foolish Galatians. You, you think you're saved by your works? Absolutely not. It's not what we taught you. You're not saved by your works. You don't start with the Spirit and end with the works. You're, you're saved by believing. You're saved by faith, just like Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him righteousness. Obviously, the early church was, they were trying to work out their salvation and credit their righteousness to the works. 
That's no different than today, is it? Obviously, Paul's writing to the church of Galatians saying, you guys are trying to work out your own salvation and your own works and deeds. And so he's addressing this issue. They're trying to work out their salvation and credit their righteousness to the works. They got saved one day, and 15, 20 years later, they forgot what God did for them, and they start crediting their own salvation to their own doing. Well, I got saved because I go to church all the time, or I know Jesus, or I tithe, or I do this. And and so you, you say, well, we don't really do that, but we really do that. We start comparing our faithfulness to things and people and, and our lack of faith to things of people, to whether we're saved or not, or whether we feel saved or not. And Paul's addressing this. He's saying, look, you, you didn't start with a spirit and end with works. It's all spirit. And so you and I have to address that in our own lives. We often try to credit our own righteousness to our own works. This, prob- this promise to Abraham, this promise was given way before the law. God credited righteousness to Abraham way before the law was ever given. So there's no way salvation comes from the law. There's no way salvation comes from works or deeds. You know why? Because before Abraham got saved, before God saved Abraham, there was no law. There was no standard to follow. There was no there were no list of rules that you must keep in order to get saved. There, there was no law, and so we know that there is no way salvation comes from good deeds or bad deeds or keeping the law or disobeying the law. The only thing the law does is testifies against you. That's the only thing the law does. It testifies against us that we are sinners and we are under God's curse. We are under God's wrath. And if the law only witnesses against us that we're sinners, then how can we credit our salvation to the law or our attempts to keep it? You can't. You cannot. We have a list of things. If I do this, this, this. We often often will uh, put people in categories, right? They're a good Christian, right? You heard that. Well, they're they're a good Christian. Okay. Does that mean they've done a little bit more than just a regular Christian? Or a little bit more than the average Christian? What makes you a good Christian? And so we put all of these categories because of the law, and the law only testifies against us. You know what the law does? It tells you that you're lost. The law only tells you and I that you're going to hell because you don't measure up to God's standard. That's what the law does for you and I. And so if that's what the law does for us, keeping that law, which is impossible to do, can in no way save us. It can't grant righteousness or life because no one can obey it perfectly and keep its standards before God, but Christ can. And Christ did. He perfectly obeyed the law and its standards on our behalf because we could not. You keep reading in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse, starting in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. You know what that means? You're cursed. That's what that means. You have the law, which is considered the Ten Commandments. And it says, for everyone who does not obey everything written in the book of the law is cursed. If you disobey one, the Bible says what? You're cursed. You are cursed. 
you're never going to be able to obey all of those. So you're cursed. You know what that means? You need some help. You need something or someone to come to your rescue. Verse 11, now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. The law only tells you and I that we're cursed. You're cursed. Congratulations, right? We're in the spirit of thanksgiving. (laughs) You're cursed, you and I. Both are cursed. I know what you're thinking. Well, I knew you were. (laughs) I didn't know I was. But we're cursed. It brings us to point number two. Faith in God's promise, not human obedience, defines the fate of all who seek his salvation. This is a quote, by the way. I can't remember who said it. I put it in quotations. I I need to tell you that. I I don't remember who wrote it, but... um, I did not, but I thought it was a good quote. Faith in God's promise, not human obedience, defines the fate of all who seek his salvation. Meaning those who trust in the redemptive work of Christ will be ushered into righteousness and become joyful beneficiaries of God's favor. Why is this so important? What's the big deal? Well, because when life happens, the gospel hope we have is founded in our faith in what God alone can provide, and that's Christ's atoning work. In Genesis, if you turn back to Genesis, you see how all of this happens. It was customary for contracting parties if they were going to make a contract between one another or a covenant between one another. They would take an animal and they would slice this animal in half. They would split this animal open in halves, one half on this side, another half on this side. And the contracting parties, both parties in this contract, in this covenant, would walk between the slain pieces of animal. And so we see in Genesis 15, in verse 17 and 18, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. So God sliced the animal in half, split them open. But then it says, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God made a covenant with Abraham. This is sealing this agreement, this salvation covenant. They they split the animal in half. Contracting parties who are making this covenant together would walk between the slain animal together. And what that meant was, I'm agreeing to my end, you're agreeing to your end of this contract or covenant, and we're walking through this together. But notice something, notice something in that passage. Notice when you read in verse 17, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared, and passed between the divided animals. That was God. That was the presence of God passing through these divided animals, meaning God is making the covenant with Abraham. Well, let's keep reading and see what Abraham did. 
pass through between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, and he goes on and fulfills the promises that God has told him. Notice what happens here. In this salvation transaction, they divided the animals, split them in two. And to make a covenant with one another, oftentimes they would walk between these slain animals. They cut the animals, split That's so where we get the term cut a deal. You understand that? Where you cut a deal, you ever wanted that? That's where you get that from. They're cutting a deal together. They're making a covenant together, okay? And so God slices the animal and splits it open in half. But only one person walks through it. And that's God. Abraham doesn't walk through it. Abraham doesn't walk between the two pieces of animal, the two halves of this animal. Only God, only the Lord walks between the pieces. You know why? Because salvation is only through Christ alone. It's only through God alone. God made a covenant with you the day you had faith and believed. You didn't walk through that. God did. God saved you. If Abram would have walked between the two pieces of that animal, Abram could have walked away from that situation boasting that he is saved and he had uh, something to do with his salvation. But he did not. Only God did. Only God did that day. And so from that day forward, only Abraham could walk away boasting in the Lord that God has saved him. And Abram had nothing to do with it. Aren't you thankful that you had nothing to do with your salvation? That on the day you had faith and you believed, God, God made a covenant with you. God saved you. This salvation promise covenant was all grace and depended solely on the Lord keeping his end of the agreement and had nothing to do with Abraham. It's why you read in Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Abraham had faith in the promises of God and God saved him. It's all the more reason we worship this great king and high priest. It's the God worth all of our worship. You better believe Abraham woke up from that vision and praised God. Praise the Lord because of that covenant that God made with him. Now, it was also customary, this ceremony amounts to a legal, legally recognized self-curse, meaning that if God's, God promises that if he forsakes his covenant, the fate of the dead animals being cut in two would be borne by God, meaning if God neglected or forsakes his covenant with Abraham and once saved him but then takes away that salvation and takes away uh, this covenant and balks on his end of the agreement. The fate of the dead animals would be borne by God. They would be on his shoulders. God took on the curses of this covenant himself. When Jesus went to the cross and the tomb, you see, Jesus became the slain animal. Jesus became the slain animal that God passed through in order for us to be saved. His perfect life satisfied the curse of the law. His perfect death satisfied the sacrifice needed for the covenant. And his perfect resurrection satisfied the curse of death for us all. Praise be to God. Praise the Lord. And number three, the covenant 
This is good. Listen to this. This is really good. The covenant is initiated by God. It's sovereignly administered by Him and kept by Him independent of the actions of the party to whom He swears His commitment. That's good. This is a quote. Another quote, not by Mike Snyder. It was so good, I thought you needed to know it. The covenant that God makes the day you're saved, when you have faith and believe in Christ, and God saves you, that covenant He is making with you, Listen, it is initiated by him. It is started by him. He initiated that before the foundations of the world. Not only is it initiated by God, but it is also administered by him. He slains the animal for you. He slain the son, the perfect lamb for you. He slain the animal for me. It is administered by him. And not only that, but it is kept by him. And it is totally independent of the actions of the party to whom he swears his commitment. It is totally independent of your actions. Totally independent of your actions and my actions, your deeds and my deeds. Amen? Because if it were dependent upon the actions of those he's making a covenant with, none of us would be saved. None of us would be declared righteous. Oh, but we are. And it has nothing to do with you, and it has nothing to do with me. This means that God reached down and saved me. God reached down and declared me righteous. I was justified by faith. I believed and trusted and had faith in the promises of the Scripture. You know what those promises are? It may not be exactly the same for Abraham that day. But the promises that I believed when I was 10 years old was that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that God will save me from my sin. I trusted that day that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who come to take away the sins of the world. I believed that day that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and I was lost. I believed that day that Jesus was not just some teacher, some rabbi, Jesus was the one that died on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty for me. Jesus was the slain animal on my behalf that God, uh, 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 a uh, um, uh, torch and a fire pot, walked between the slain animal for me. And I believed that, and I trusted in that, and I had faith in that. And it was on that day God saved me. On that day I was justified. By faith. Not anything Mike done. And not anything Mike was going to do. God didn't look down and say, yo, Mike's going to turn out pretty good. Let me just go ahead and save him now. No, no. No. God saved me. And it was independent of my actions. It was independent of anything I've done or have ever done or ever will do. Praise be to God for that. Listen, when you start thinking that way, when you start understanding these doctrines, it makes you praise God. You understand that? It causes you to praise God. I, this is why I'm, these type of things I don't see in the world. Please forgive me for this, but I, I don't, when you realize some of this stuff and all these doctrines and what God's really done for us, I don't see how any Christian can walk around in sadness. I just don't see it. I don't understand that. 
I understand we go through seasons of sadness because life happens. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's okay. We have emotions and we go through that. But there are people that are just perpetually nonstop sad. Just nonstop. I think their face is just glued like that. Like, what's wrong with you? No, I'm fine. No, I don't, I don't know. How, why do you think I'm not fine? Because your face. That's just, oh, I look sad. I'm walking around droopy. Now, I understand this. I'm extreme extrovert. I'm a little wild sometimes. And I can be, you know, very loud and, you know, I, you know, and, you know, hyper, I guess. I just don't know how you can see what God's done for you. I don't understand how a Christian can look back and know that despite me and in spite of me and any of my actions, God still saved me. He redeemed me. He plucked me out. He chose me. He initiated it. He administered it. And he is keeping me. Man, that's enough for us to shout, guys. That's enough for Christians to go out and just tell all the world, you don't know what God's done for me. You don't know who this God is. See, we have a small view of God. The reason why we don't go out and share the gospel as much as we should is because we feel like we have a say-so in our own life, in our own saying, in our own salvation. But when you realize it's all God and all him and what God's really and truly done for you, you can't help but tell people about Jesus. It's shut up in you. It's like a fire in your bones. It's got to, I got to tell you what God's done for me. You have no clue what God's done for me. And we go out with a man just a heart, a passion, right? Just a heart to tell people who this God is. So what about you? Do you believe in the scriptures? Today, listen to me, today could be the day where you are justified by faith. Look, stop trusting in your actions. Stop trusting in your deeds. Stop trusting uh, in anything you have done or will do. Stop trusting or stop being hindered by past sin. Look, there's people in this room. You believe in your heart that God can't save you. Hmm. I believe there's people in this room today. You believe in, in your heart there's no way God could save a sinner like me. And I'm telling you, all your life the devil has told you that lie. And that is a lie from the very pit of hell. You know that. How can the devil tell you what God can or cannot do? So, Pastor Mike, God can't save somebody like me. I've done a lot of things in my life, a lot of bad things. I just don't know if God can save me. But I'm going to tell you this, dear brother. I'll tell you this, dear sister. You are no worse off than me. You're no worse off than Abraham was that day. You're no worse off than any child that comes to Jesus. God can save anybody. God has the power. And, and listen, let me tell you this. This is even better than power. God has the authority. He's got the authority. So you better stop believing the lie that God can't save me because of my past actions. Listen to me. If your salvation does not happen because of your actions, the lack of your salvation happen because of your actions. You hear me? It has nothing to do with your actions. It has nothing to do with what you've done, what you will do, have done, will do today. If God doesn't save you on the basis of that, God does not save you on the basis of that. Trust in the Scriptures. Just trust in Jesus today. Trust in Him today. Don't believe that lie. And today, 
You can be justified by faith. Have faith in him today. And you can be defined by justification. Your sins can be forgiven. Christ's righteousness belonging to you. And you can be declared righteous for the very first time in the sight of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. You love us. We know that. Lord, we're justified by faith. We're thankful for that. Lord, I pray any persons in this room that have never experienced this justification, I pray they'll do so today simply by trusting, simply by faith. Lord, may they quit thinking about all their past sins and past experiences, Lord. That's kept them from faith and trusting in you. And that's what the devil wants. But God, may they just have faith as Abraham had faith. Faith in what? Faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith that Jesus really did die on the cross for their sins. Faith that he rose from the dead and that if we'll trust in him, our sins can be forgiven and we'll be made right with you. God, there are people in this room right now, right now, that need that. They need it. And their heart is thumping. What are people going to think of me? Lord, I pray you'll just put it in their heart. You, may you just make their legs move and walk and come down and trust in Jesus. That's you. Pastors will be down front. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you're just reminded of the goodness of God in your life. That he saved you through faith. Not of yourself so no man can boast, but only boast in Jesus. May we come to the altar and simply boast in God. Amen. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and thank you for Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're